Ladies and gentlemen, happy Tuesday and welcome to Locked on Seminoles. I'm your host, Max, and in just a moment, I'll be joined by Drake and I'll be joined by Dave. But we started recording last night, Monday as you're listening to this, and we got on a tear. We're talking about the new depth chart, Mike Norvell's speech about what it's like to be 0-4 and actually recognizing that. And then we get into a little thought experiment of how do we compare to other second-year head coaches around the country, and what would we do differently if given the opportunity? Well, those are three pretty impassioned topics, and we couldn't hold ourselves to our usual 25 minutes, and we didn't want to cut any of the great conversation out. So we're going to have a very rare two-parter in the middle of the week for you. Today's going to be part one. Starts off with Drake and Dave. I joined a little later. And then tomorrow on Wednesday, make sure you come back for a wrap-up of our conversation and that final fun game of are we in the worst situation of all the programs with second-year head coaches in the country? Thanks for making Locked On Seminoles your first listen every day. And very exciting announcement. We have our YouTube set up. That's right. We'll be coming to you starting next week. I cannot wait for all of y'all to see us, be able to see all of y'all and all the good things that YouTube provides us with. Give us a five-star review. Make sure you're subscribed so we pop to the top of the queue and sit back, relax, and let's go over to Drake, Dave, and myself for Locked On Seminoles. You are Locked On Seminoles, your daily podcast on the Florida State Seminoles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome back to another edition of Locked On Seminoles. I'm your host, Drake, and Across from the Zoom room, as Max would like to call it, unfortunately, here tonight he has a uh, parental duties to attend to. I am joined by Dave. Davey, what's looking good looking? Drake, I've decided to put a positive spin on everything for you. FSU oh. is undefeated at losing. Undefeated at losing. That is the title of the episode, mm-hmm. folks. Undefeated at losing. That's something I love to hear. But unfortunately, that's also kind of depressing. <laughs> for being completely <laughs> honest here, Dave. But hey, got to look on the bright side. But before, you know, we dive into today, folks, so we're going to talk about the depth chart that was released today. We're also going to like jump in a little bit with the, the the comments he had actually at the end of his press conference. And then also there was a question that I brought up that I've seen around Twitter that I really want to talk about where a lot of the fans and FSU Twitter are discussing or comparing Mike Norvell's current, you know, year two as to the other year two coaches. But before, you know, we dive right up into that, Dave, you didn't get to like get your little venting session out. I'm going to give you a minute and a half to like sort of dive on in. So Dave, go right ahead. Yeah, man. I just, there's too many questions, not enough answers. Um, I I listened to the press conferences today and I, at the same time, am able to sympathize with Mike Norvell and that he inherited a shit flavored lollipop and he was going to, he probably there's nothing he could say. I guess what I'm trying to say is no matter what he says, it's going to fall on deaf ears. It's going to, I'm going to be saying to myself, yeah, I've heard that crap before. So there's no right answers. And 
luckily for him, there's no such thing as a hot seat because we don't have the money for it, but he's got to get things right. And I, you know, last week we talked a lot about whether we need to make a change at coordinator. We saw a good defensive performance in the second half that unfortunately was the exact opposite of the first half, which gave up enough points to lose us the game. So, you know, there's, there's not nearly enough consistency and when things are bad, they are 0-4 bad. And when things are good, they're still 0-4 bad. Yeah, I think the only consistent thing about this team is we're consistently inconsistent, whether it you know be the defense having a really, really good day and the offense sputtering out or the offense actually finally doing something you know different and well like the first two games. And then our defense isn't probably doing much of anything. But, I mean, I'm right there with you. I mean, we were saying it yesterday that we were frustrated. Um, there's no answer right as of right now with, you know, with the quarterback situation. Yep. But I will say that there were a lot of there. Were, if you watch on a rewatch, folks, and like I'm not the big, you know, moral victory kind of guy here. I felt that there actually were enough positives, you know, to go forward, you know, with the rest of the season, primarily because we saw the young guys play that we actually played, I think, really, really well as in we didn't give up. And that's something you couldn't say two, three, even four years ago in Jimbo's last year. So, Dave, you got the depth chart right now. You know, look, you're looking at it. What's the one thing, I guess, right now that kind of like jumps out at you? It just the one thing that jumps out at me is, again, the lack of changes. Like, I, I don't know that we have the right answers on this roster for the issues we have. Two of the bigger issues being receiver and linebacker. I don't know if we have the answers. The problem is, though, I, I don't like that we're not trying. The receiver and the linebacker depth chart have zero meaningful change on them. And at this point, I got to know what we got. And just because we know what we have isn't working. And even if it's likely that the backups or the freshmen or the young guys won't work out, I want to know that because I know what we have going on right now isn't working out. I mean, no, I get that. But also there could be some stuff that, you know, we don't know. I mean, between you and I, I had no idea that Joshua Burrell was on a motorized scooter in a walking boot. And we found that out Saturday, Saturday right before kickoff. I yeah, also know that right. Brian Robinson's coming back from a high ankle sprain, and those take a very, very long time to come back from. And then also, I mean, can you think of another wide receiver you would think of at the top of your head that you know you'd want to see? I don't know, man. I I said it before the year. I didn't know whether Helton and Wilson were going to be able to show me anything that would lead me to believe we can have a successful passing game. And through four games, nothing has changed my mind there. Well, folks. We actually have just been joined by one of our beautiful, beautiful co-hosts here. He actually has, you know, put down his little t- tormented terror, his little beautiful, beautiful daughter. Max, what's up, beautiful? Yeah, we'll see how long that lasts. Uh, she is currently halfway between sleep and reading herself Pete the Cat books. She can't read, but she's reading herself books. They say that you can let them do that. But let's keep talking about receivers, Dave. Proceed. Yeah, no, just we're talking about the depth chart and what we'd like, what we're surprised at or what we're disappointed at. And my two things were just the lack of any meaningful change at the receiver and linebacker position, the two probably worst position groups on the team for my money. And, you know, I mentioned that I would like, I don't know what we have behind the starters, but at this point, I don't care. I want to find out even if they could be worse because I don't know how it could get any worse. Yeah, Dave, I think that's right. But you also have the injury bug at the wide receiver position right now, because our best well, second best freshman wide receiver is rolling around on a uh, horse-drawn carriage there in Joshua Burrell. You're seeing Malik McLean. He actually did have some meaningful targets, three receptions for 23 yards. 
Overall, you had nine guys catch a pass on Saturday. That was Parchment, Wilson, Corbin, McDonald, Ward, McLean, Wilson, and Douglas. I agree with you. I, I want to see more of uh, Williamson. I'd definitely like to see um, our Frenchman, whose name for some reason is slipping my Portier. Kentron, Portier. Yeah, I'd like to see a little more out of Kentron. However, I do think that it's always tough with receivers to know whether it's being player led or coach led because the coaches don't really get to pick the receivers. The quarterbacks do, they can put them on the depth chart, but if you have a guy that, you know, your quarterback prefers to throw to, that's who you're going to put on the field because we're, it's very clear that, um, that Milton is very comfortable going to Andrew Parchment and really isn't comfortable spreading it around to anyone else. So you can make the change, but a, you're not going to take Parchment off the field after a 17.2 yard average against Louisville. And if that's who he's going to mostly target anyway, I don't know if any changes you make are going to make a difference, but you know me, I'm fully on the Kintron and the Williamson train. So I, I agree. I would like to see those guys get more field time. I just don't know if with McKenzie at quarterback, it's going to make a difference. Yeah. And over to linebacker. I mean, again, I, I'm with you. I, I'm just going to say it. I know we're not trying to bash kids. I'm not blaming this kid because I appreciate the passion and the heart he plays with. I don't need to see Amari Gaynor take another snap for Florida State. I don't. I, I don't need to see him miss run fits. I don't need to see him get outrun by tight ends that catch balls. I don't need to see him fail at covering people. I know we probably, to Dave's point, don't have anyone that's that much better. I doubt Darius Green McKnight is a ton better than Amari Gaynor. But Jay, I was going to say his initials, Jadarius Green. JGM is got four years ahead of him. And let's just go ahead and do what we did with Dixon Lundy last year and start developing him. Now, that being said, there's a reason I'm not the coach. We said this last week. Do you really win any goodwill in the locker room by pulling a senior, or I guess he's a junior because of the COVID year, who's working his butt off out there off the field when it's nothing like egregiously major he's done to lose your football games? I don't know. The problem I have with that, Max, is what matters more at this point? Keeping the upperclassmen mostly in the locker room happy when they're probably not the answer for us, obviously, or letting the 22 and 23 guys know that, hey, you can get on the field early here because they're probably what's going to need to be the answer for us. I don't think it's an either or because I think that there's a lot that goes on in a locker room. And these guys are friends with Amari. These guys look up to Amari. Like I remember being on the football team in high school. There were seniors I knew weren't that good, but I still would have found it weird if they got benched for me, you know, and I still would have taken that the wrong way. Cause then you're thinking, well, then if they bring in a new kid, are they going to bench me the second they think he might perform better? Well, now you're going to create animosity next year between your entire safety core and Travis Hunter, because they're going to say, well, what if I make one little mistake? I guess I'm out of here for Hunter. If you're only going to go two and 10 and that's the ceiling, I do think you have to reward effort to some degree. And we did see a team not quit because if you discourage effort with these seniors, you're going to naturally discourage it with next year's seniors and the year after seniors. And at a certain point, when do you kind of stop with that? We're not Alabama. We don't have, you know, three deep at every position to play that game yet. And I think it's a dangerous game to play if you don't have the depth. No, no, I, I mean, I agree with that. And the main reason I kind of said earlier before, you know, hopped on here with Amari Gaynor was that, I mean, I would love to see JGM play. The only problem is he played safety all throughout high school and he just made the switch to linebacker over in summer. And I know we were big on the youth movement last year and also this year, but I don't want him to literally learn on the fly. His first, you know, actual snaps after that practice could be 
in his big ACC schedule. So I think that's kind of more you need to put way a little bit more on him. I mean, me personally, I've been on the camp that you need to move Mark Gaynor from linebacker to edge rusher because that would help, you know, with Kier Thomas and Jermaine Johnson leaving. And also, I've said it before, say it again, his cover skills are terrible. They are yeah. not. Dave, to your point, though, and I think this might be relieving, we had 21 guys make a tackle on Saturday. Again, it's a game we lost. We lost to Louisville. But those kind of things. So when you say, why aren't we seeing the young guys? I echo your frustrations. I agree. But I think through a more like when you calm down and settled lens, you look at it and you go, okay, we are putting a lot of guys on the field. We are getting a lot of people in. Do we have the best coach making those decisions? That remains yeah. to be seen. I, I am going to say, though, it is encouraging to see when you've got guys like Kevin Knowles getting a tackle. You've got guys like Robert Cooper getting out there on four assists and Dennis Briggs getting three assists to tackles, playing pretty well despite us missing Fabian Lovett. Um, we saw, by the way, who's going to be our unsung hero of the game. Jarvis Brownlee probably had the two most important tackles of the game. I, I recorded on my phone. If you guys go back to the condensed game, about eight minutes left, about eight minutes left in the third quarter, uh, Malik Cunningham is about to go for a 15, 17 yard gash. And Dotson comes out of nowhere and lays the boomstick and puts him on the ground about five minutes left in the fourth quarter. It was uh, Louisville's last drive. They get a first down. It's over. We're calling timeouts. Same thing. Cunningham gets free before he can get to the first down. Seemingly using apparition. Nowhere. Uh, Jarvis Brownlee comes in and smashes him to the ground. Those were his two tackles. And those were the two most important tackles of the game because both of those got Florida State the ball back. We didn't capitalize, but he was our unsung hero of the game. I'll be putting something about that on Twitter uh, later. And yeah, I mean, look, we had a lot of guys contribute. So, so folks. I'd be remiss not to tell you about Max's favorite, favorite application, favorite app. Trust me, he is a fiend with it. Prize picks. College football fanatics, he's the one big thing about that. He was very, very on the under of one and a half touchdown passes for Mackenzie Milton. Unfortunately, it did hit. Folks, When you, the way it works is you have three separate outcomes that you can pick. Me, personally, I use it for baseball, like Sandy Alcantara, over and under eight and a half strikeouts. John Carlos Stanton, over and under one and a half bases total. And also, I do Chris Carpenter over, under, and a half, six and a half innings pitched. That's how it works. You group them up into a small little grouping. You make these picks, fancy props, a little bit of a pick them. It's a fun time. It's a great way to spend your Sunday, your Saturday. And you can also, they do it with MLB, NHL, NBA, soccer, and also with UFC. Trust me, with knockouts, it's a great time. Folks, head on over to prize picks. Use promo code locked on, and you know what we sent you. So one of the big things that's happening right now that's going over Twitter is the press conference that Mike Norvell had. And the big takeaway from that was towards the end where you had this sort of passionate, fiery, you know, speech, whatever, regarding you know, what the recruits seeing. And I think it's the first time that we all can say that we've seen him being a little more pissed off and anything else and just kind of frustrated. And that's kind of, you know, nice to see from someone that we have been not been able to get a straight answer at all whatsoever since he's been here for the past two and a half years. Um, Max, I kind of want to know your take on that because me personally, I'm not. It's like a yes and no with me. I'm glad that he went a little bit outside of his shell like, with his response, but also to me, it's not falling on deaf ears, but I'm not putting as much weight into it as other people are. Yeah, so I think tonally, it really wasn't all that different from what we've seen in the past. What stood out to me was it felt like the first time he's actively non-euphemistically, I don't know if that's the right way to say, without using a euphemism, just acknowledged, hey, we don't want to be 0-4. Hey, we're going to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes. People are going to make mistakes. He's kind of said all of those things before, 
but it's always been in that sort of coach speak way where you feel like he's not taking it seriously that it's been happening. Like it's almost a, well, if that were to happen, yeah, we'd take it seriously while we're over here in the peanut gallery and going, dude, it is happening. And this felt like the first time where he said, yeah, obviously we don't want to lose football games. We've lost too many. This is unacceptable. We're going to work on it. I don't know. Does, is that going to change everything? Probably not. I mean, it's nice to know he knows that we suck, but it doesn't change the fact that we still suck. Um, what the reason I think I took so much away from it though, and and was and I sent it to you guys in the chat, even though you, you're good at your job, so you'd already seen it, it is because it was in response to recruiting. So it kind of gave me some insight into okay, if he's be, he's being this honest and straightforward with recruits, well, then we probably aren't going to see this recruiting class crumble because that's the big fear, right? Is what's going to happen to this class? And I think the only way to keep them is through that kind of honesty. And it's good to know that he's aware of that. It's just tough for me as somebody who grew up on so much success and even our quote lost decade being so much substantially better than this for me to even hear his impassioned response and not think to myself, just roll my eyes and think to myself, here we go again. I've heard this before. I mean, I'm not going to say I'm going to roll my eyes to it. I mean, like, I'm not going to put so much super stock into it. I think, Max, you raised a really good point how I don't think that message is for any of us right now in this room or listening to this podcast. I think this mainly is for kids, kind of like how I always say the turnover chain. You may hate it a lot, but if the kids like it, that's all that matters. Same thing with the slingshot. I thought that was hella lame, but the kids seem to enjoy it. So that message to me kind of, you know, was mainly for the recruits. My only concern is that you can keep saying, you know, this thing over and over and over again. I'm pretty sure. And we've all we've already heard how not only Norvell, but Alex Atkins is very, very blunt and honest with these kids about, you know, what yeah. they're getting into, what they're going to be doing and what they need them to do to, in order to excel and build a foundation for this program. It's just I'm worried that the results need to follow because you can sell like, hey, yeah. we're going to be a pretty bad team. Right. And win only three to four games. If you're a team that, you know, sells that sort of vision and your vision is only leading up to a one win, maybe a two team, you know, two, uh, sorry, a one win, maybe a two win team, then that message not, might not be as strong with certain players. I already hear a few kids that, you know, are already flipping to begin with, Ooh. whether it be in a Luba, you know, going over to Georgia or maybe a Sam McCall heading over to Alabama. Yeah. But, but with those, I, I just, one of those things that's where I don't, I'm not going to say that this is that we, the kids that we have now aren't going to be decommitting, but. I think it's something definitely we need to watch moving forward. Yeah, I think it'd be unrealistic to think you're going to lose 10 games and not have kids decommit. But you yeah. kind of have the you're damned if you do, damned if you don't paradox here because, yeah, you're right. It, I agree with you, Dave. It's kind of annoying. Like, yeah, we'll just do better and win. Well, he can't wave a magic wand, go back and be 4-0. So as long as you're going to be 0-4, at least he's saying something about it, right? It, would you rather him go out there and say, well, can't fix it, but we're going to win eight more games straight and be lying to us that way. I, I don't know. I mean, there isn't – you can't make 0-4 not suck. Like, there's no there's no, no way no to way. undo I mean, that. You're, you're easy, um, easy. It's like literally, he's just – he's just – Right. The, he the, well, the, the, only, the only alternative, right, is to go out there and kind of do what I do for him and, and try to pitch how you could have won those games and uh, just say, look, we're – a missed field goal away from double overtime with Notre Dame. Maybe we pull that out. Hey, we were in cover one robber when we should have been in prevent defense and we beat Jacksonville state. And while it's annoying, look at Auburn, no one's giving Auburn shit, or at least they won't be by Wednesday because when you win, you win and it gets swept under the rug. And 
you know, we are pick a play of four or five different plays in this game from beating this team. We're also, we don't miss a field goal. There's the hips, the upright doesn't go in and we don't miss an extra point. It's a tie ball game in that fourth quarter. So he could have done that. And I'm really glad he didn't because for me to do, it's one thing. That's really the only other thing he, I think he could say though, and hearing a head coach sit up there and try to haggle with you about why he's not really owing for that would just piss me off. So at least he owns it. At least he's saying, Hey, we're going to try to do better without promising that we're just going to go out there and beat Clemson, Miami, and Florida. And again, what else can you say when you're in this situation? Like there yeah, just isn't much you can say. And that, that was my exact point too. I think we're saying the same thing in two different ways, because for me, if he goes out there and says, we're going to fix this and then we lose the next two games, it's like, what the hell are you talking about? You didn't fix anything. And again, we can make strides in the game, including specific position groups that may have played better or the second half being a lot better than the first on defense. But at the end of the day, the results to some degree matter because you can say we're going to get better, but until that translates to wins, hell, I'll take wins against FCS teams at this this point, which apparently isn't all that easy. You it's fiend. just... It, I know, man, it's, it is falling on deaf ears. It does get annoying. I don't think there's anything better or else that he could say, but until the results change, there's nothing he could say. Everyone's going to be pissed off at him. And I think those people that contribute their money to the athletic department should continue to do so, but they still have the right to be pissed off. Yeah. We're not going to say you don't have a right to be mad, but I think as content creators and journalists covering the team, we need to look into it one step deeper. And the reality is this team has an ex- had an expected, what does Bill Connolly call it? Post game expected win, win, sure, yeah. Mm. Post game expect win expectancy. They should have beaten Wake Forest. They should have beaten Jacksonville State, and they should have beaten Louisville. So this team should yeah. be three and one right now, just based purely on the statistics produced on the field. Now, what I'm looking forward to seeing, or you know, dreading seeing, is the defense stepped up in the second half of this game. They really did. They looked a lot better. Is this going to be the moment where Charles Kelly's defense after Louisville and that absolute bombardment they took from Lamar Jackson stepped up to win us eight straight games and send us to a New Year's Six Bowl? Or is this going to be Virginia 2019 where we thought, oh my gosh, the defense has turned a corner and then three weeks later, Willie Taggart was fired. That remains to be seen, but I'm, I'm really curious to see which direction they go after that second half of football. Folks, thanks for stopping by today. I hope you enjoyed our conversation on the new depth chart for next week and what we thought about Mike Norvell's press conference comments. Thank you for making Locked on Seminoles your first listen every day. And don't forget to come back tomorrow where we're going to talk about whether or not Florida State is in the worst situation of all the other programs in the country that have a second year head coach. I'm Max. That was Drake and Dave. And this was Locked on Seminoles.